Christianity is neither foolish nor boring, but too many people think of it in those terms. My book, The God Question, is an attempt to, to correct that thinking. I invite uh, people to consider the fact that maybe the Christian religion is based upon better reasons than their view of the world, and I lay that out in a, in a gracious manner. And then I say that maybe the fact that we think Christianity is boring is because it, we have missed some of the invigorating aspects of discipleship. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. So what I seek to do is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with a wisdom, integrity, and courage. There's a crisis in the West today, a crisis of happiness. Both sociological research and statistics, such as the rise in the so-called deaths of despair, paint a picture of a society that is wrestling with a lack of satisfaction in spite of its decadence. This dilemma and its solution has been debated by scholars, psychologists, pundits, and philosophers. My guest on today's show says that the dilemma will not be resolved unless we consider how Christianity offers us a life of meaning. His name is J.P. Moreland, and he, we talked about his book called The God Question on how Christianity invites us, as he writes, to a full life, to an adventure filled with meaning and drama. J.P. Moreland who has his PhD from the University of Southern California, is Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University in La Mirada, California. He has written or contributed to over 95 books, including The God Conversation, Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview, In Search of a Confident Faith, and Love God with All Your Mind. Before we dive into this episode, be sure that you're subscribed to Filter wherever you get your podcast so that you don't miss out on any future episodes and content that we're putting out. If you're helped by this content, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review or shared the show with your friends. Taking these simple steps can help us to get out the message of biblical clarity to more people so that they can also live their life with more wisdom, integrity, and courage as well. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this conversation that I got to have with Dr. J.P. Moreland. J.P.? Welcome to the podcast. Aaron, it's great to be with you, my friend. Well, it's great to have you here. Like we were talking about before, uh, we've had several mutual friends who have been guests of the show now, and so it's exciting to have you on. I've been reading your books for several years through school and uh, in your writings uh, and, and so on otherwise, and so it's been uh, a goal of mine to have you on, and it's exciting to have you here on the show. I really appreciate it. We've got you on the show today to talk about your book, uh, the God Question. This is a book that actually came out uh, a little bit over a decade ago, and but was just re-released in a revised edition. Can you tell us the story behind the book and uh, and what's different about the revised edition? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I I was frustrated because people kept coming up to me and saying, "Can you recommend a book that I could rec- that I could give to my uncle?" who at Thanksgiving, he's always coming over and kind of pontificating about the foolishness of Christianity. 
And I just, I'd like to have something to give to him. Plus I could use a little strengthening myself. Now, um, I, there are other books out there that are good, and I'm not suggesting mine's the best, but what I did try to do was to write a thoughtful book that uh, for both uh, that uncle or person at work that's a skeptic but would be willing to read something, or Christians who would like a, a fresh take on their Christian life. they just like to be refreshed and Maybe look at things from a fresh angle. And so, Aaron, the first part of the book, I, I lay out a case for why the question of God matters and what's happened in our culture when people have failed uh, to ask that question. And the fundamental thing is that people have become more sour on life, they've lost hope, and they're, they're more anxious and fearful and less happy. And I've documented this very carefully. So then I said, well, it's obvious that our culture's in trouble. And so what what do we do? And I said, well, if, if there's going to be a, a solution, it'll involve meaning in life. And that can be true, really, only if there is a personal God like the God of the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean there is such a being, but that's the, that would, would be the solution to the emptiness that we're experiencing in Western culture. So then I lay out a case for why there is a God. And then the rest of the book is, well, so what? What does this mean to me? And then I have a fresh way of looking at rethinking uh, Christian discipleship uh, so that it isn't kind of like churchianity. And then I talk finally about, is there life after death? One other thing I'll mention, Aaron, uh, at the beginning, I say to the reader, please give me a chance. It's all I'm asking is that you give me the opportunity to lay out what I'm thinking. And, and I get to make my case. If you have anything that comes into your mind about when you hear the word Christianity, would you please erase it and just forget about that? Give me a fresh hearing. That's all I'm asking. And if you don't think that I make make a good and interesting case, that's uh, that's fair enough. But I want a fair hearing. That's all I'm asking you to give me. So I think it's a non-offensive, non, uh, uh, but it's a very thoughtful approach to this question, and it could strengthen believers and help them reach out to their unbelieving friends. Absolutely. I think that that's what I was thinking about as you were talking is how I could see this as being incredibly beneficial to people who are already believers as well. We as well tend to uh, miss the connection between our intellectual belief in a God who is there, but then how that brings meaning into our life. You talked about the problem that we have in our society today in America, and I guess we could say more broadly in the West as well. A, a problem, a crisis of happiness and meaning. Could you just explain for the listeners a little bit more? What do you mean by that? Help them to see the problem that is there, what it means, and what has contributed to it. Well, there have been some very highly funded studies by professors who have devoted their entire life to the question of what is happiness and what helps and hinders it. In particular, Martin Seligman at uh, the University of Pennsylvania. And what they have discovered 
after spending literally millions of dollars in research, is that the American people are 10 times more depressed and, and unhappy than in the generation of the World War II folks and the generation before them. And so there has been literally in Western culture, including Europe, a, a, an explosion of, of unhappiness. People, something about the way we're doing life isn't working. And that's their conclusion, not mine. And this is, this is based on factual information. It's not, you know, my, I'm, I'm, I've got a sour attitude toward life and I'm just spilling my own stuff on the pages here. This is the truth of the matter. And what they end up concluding, interestingly enough, is that people have substituted the pursuit of pleasure and, and recognition and success for meaning. And what we really need is a sense of meaning in life. Now, the bad news is that not any old worldview is consistent with there really being such a thing as meaning. And so I try to lay out that, that meaning involves several factors. For example, uh, that there is real teleology in the world, or there are things that actually happen for a purpose. And since the scientific revolution in the 17th century, scientists have increasingly got to the point where by the 1930s, they denied that there was any such thing as anything done for a purpose, including human action. You might think you go to the store for the purpose of getting groceries, but that's actually not true. There is some subconscious drive that's determining you to do that. So, so there has to be this teleological factor. There has to be a set of objective values that are real. Uh, because if you just make them up, then they kind of, they're kind of like customs. You know, the two-point conversion of football. You know, how, how much value can you give to giving your life to that if all you need to do is vote again and change it to the one point? You know, and here you've given your life to something and you just by voting, it's no longer a value. So these values have to really have gravitas, and that means they've got to be objectively real. But interestingly, they not only have to be real, but they have to be good for us to pursue uh, in order for our lives to have that kind of meaning. And lo and behold, the, 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 the moral life and what is good for us actually just overlap perfectly. It's, it's as though we were made to live this way. Yeah. And so what I try to say is that, that the biblical, biblical view of God has deep, satisfying answers to all of these questions. In a naturalistic worldview and postmodernism and constructivism, uh, even Islam, fails to have a meaning, answer these longings. And in fact, the reason they've arisen is because we've abandoned uh, Christian theism for an alternative worldview that won't give us what we're looking for. So we end up running, needing more and more of the pleasure that it gives us until we uh, get addicted like Turkish delight. You end up getting addicted on it. And so what we need is, is God, but 
we've thrown him out because Christianity's boring and it's right wing and it's just a it doesn't make any sense. So there I asked for a fresh hearing, but that's where I went with that question. Yeah, this is something that I've thought about and written on, spoken on uh, several times, uh, the the issue of meaning in life and something that I've come across when starting to read into or, or even trying to articulate myself about the purpose of life or, or experiencing meaning in life. I find that often we get a little mushy with our terms and we don't have clear definitions or understandings for them, uh, especially with those two big terms that we often throw around purpose in life and meaning in life. Yes. And the, and the way that you think about them and define them and, and articulate them to people. Uh, do you use purpose and meaning in life as synonymous interchangeable terms, or are they two different things that uh, integrate together in a, in, in living a full life and experiencing a good life? How do you define those terms? Yeah, I, I would say purpose is a, is a part of meaning. Uh, but I would say purpose is some end or teleological goal for the sake of which I was put here on earth. I was put here on earth to seek to live in order to bring about this purpose or goal. Like if I have a purpose, if my job gives me a purpose at work, then I have a specific end that I am seeking to bring about in the company. So so that's purpose would be having an end or something in or in this for the sake of which I'm living. Meaning includes that, but it goes beyond that to to realizing that my activities if 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 they're done for God have objective value in and of themselves even if I'm playing uh, as long as it's appropriate, but everything I do uh, if there is a God, if I do it in with his knowing he's watching and wanting him to d- be delighted in my own pleasure in these things, transforms everything I do into a real, really important meaning. And it's just incredible how the, the insignificant, quote, things of the day can be tremendously meaningful uh, if there is a personal God. And I, and I realize these things. So, uh, I would say meaning is, is, is having significance or Mm. real, real value to it. And, uh, that would be a little broader than purpose. Uh, but Mm -hmm. it would include purpose as far as I can see. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that. I think that we, uh, think about these terms in the same way in the ways that I that I've tried to articulate them and the way that I put it and and you can respond to this if you uh, agree or disagree or maybe would revise it the way that I've tried to boil it down is that purpose is uh, is something that is objective that must come from outside of you that we cannot determine purpose absolutely not and then meaning in life is something that is more experienced out of our purpose uh, significant experiencing the significance of um, of our own life that, yep. that our life matters and that the things that we do matter whenever we are following that purpose for our life and so that's what it means to have a meaningful I life like and so that's that. the way that I've usually kind of categorized them in a, a very simplistic way is just 
one being more objective, something that you receive from outside of yourself, the other being experiential and consequence of living out the objective purpose. I really is, like Is that, that something you agree with or? I really do. I really like it uh, because what you smuggled in there is both in a, some objective uh, purpose uh, that I don't create. Uh, and uh, I think we, that, that we need to make a qualification on that. I think it is possible for me to have the sense that God put me here to 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 bring to give people better health, let's say. That's kind of my sense of why I'm here. But I think that I could quote unquote create my own path in that I might choose to be a cardiologist instead of a you know, a dentist. And that would be, that would be a legitimate way of quote unquote creating, but even that piggybacks on the fact that there is inherent good in, in me seeking to be a healthcare provider in some sense. And I don't create that. And that raises the gnarly question, well, where does intrinsic goodness come from? And uh, that's a that's a very big problem, and so I do like your view. But what what you if we, see what we've done here, and what you do, and what I've tried to do in the book, the God question, is I've tried to bring that up front because a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of millennials have been uh, have been surveyed recently, and they just don't think it matters all that much whether Christianity is true or not, or whether there's a God or not. And you, you scratch your head and say, how could they say that? Well, it's because they interpret God existing as going to Sunday school, as going to youth group on Wednesday night, uh, being a church attender on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And all of that is at least you know, a little bit boring, maybe. And it has nothing to do with their social systems at school. And so if God exists, then I have this, these religious duties that I've got to do instead of realizing that the whole ranch is dependent upon whether or not God is there. And uh, so we can't split off our Christianity and isolate it from the rest of our lives. That's not the way this works. So that's why I think it's important to start with what we're starting with namely trying to grab people and say, you know, do you realize what's at stake here? And do you realize what has happened to those who've kind of abandoned uh, belief in a God like the God of the Bible? Well, it isn't pretty. Let me lay it out for you. Mm. So that's a perfect place to start, I think. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that I've run across a lot in, in talking with people on this topic and trying to uh, point them to the need for God is they respond. I, I find that the, uh, the, the, the arguments and thoughts of uh, Albert Camus seem to be very influential right now, particularly in this area, uh, Albert Camus and uh, his, uh, the myth of Sisyphus and what he draws out of that in terms of uh, recognizing what he says is the absurdity of life, embracing it, and then sort of forging your own meaning out of that. Right, forging your meaning out of trying to continue to push the rock up the hill, knowing that it'll still come back down. Have you uh, in- engaged with 
uh, Camus and people who follow that thinking as well? And what is your response to, uh, to me, like I said, to me, that, that seems to be a really prominent and influential line of thought right now in terms of the search for purpose and meaning in life. I think you're right, Aaron. Um, Daniel Dennett, uh, in his his book, Darwin's Dangerous Idea, said that since Darwinian atheism is true, there is absolutely nothing that has any purpose or meaning to it at all in the world. And the question I raised to him and that I would raise to a Camusite would be if that, if you accept that, then what would be the point of announcing it? I mean, why take all the time and effort to write a book saying that? But that's a lot of work. When he could have been hanging, he could have been hanging out drinking in a bar and trying to pick up women, or he could he could have been, you know, uh, deep sea fishing in the Mediterranean. I don't know. There's a lot of things that he could have been doing. But why write a book? Because writing the book is itself purposeless. It has no purpose to it. Uh, so it's kind of self-defeating in the sense that if the if your Camus is right about this, then there is no reason to do anything. So whatever one does in light of that is itself ultimately purposeless. So why, what's the point? So that's the first thing, and I I try to show that they're 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 so inconsistent in the passion they bring to the table with this worldview because it's that makes it incoherent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the second thing uh, that I would say is that if you're talking about creating your own meaning, uh, you know, first of all, let's hope that you're not a Hitler because there are some meanings that are, that are horrible and there are others, like Mother Teresa's giving her life to care for the poor, that are that are admirable and wonderful. And the only way that you can actually make a distinction between the, the meaning Hitler created and the meaning of Mother Teresa or Mahatma Gandhi created is that there is, in fact, purpose. Because if there is no purpose then there's just no ultimate, there's no difference between these two figures. Do you really want to believe that? I, I mean, are you telling me that you think a person who spends his life pushing a nickel around a, a square, a, a yard, a, yard, a football field square of so, uh, uh, concrete, uh, and all he does is on his hands and knees push that thing with his nose uh, forever? Has, has as much meaning in life as someone who becomes a missionary doctor and, and spends his life saving poor people in some country from dying of disease, that one life is no more meaningful than the other? I, I don't believe it. So uh, that that's another thing I would point out, is that there could be things meaningful that people don't would not don't want choose because of their they're messed up inside. And there could be things that people choose to be meaningful that are horrendous. And that distinction seems to be real. But on their view, it it follows that it isn't real. And so I think that's a fault against their view. Mm. Yeah. And so in contrast to these other worldviews and what they might say about finding meaning, what is it about Christianity that provides a unique solution 
to these problems of happiness and uh, meaning in life. Right. Uh, well, first of all, we it, Christianity tells us that we are we have free will, and that means, and the other views I think leave us deterministic. Uh, and and if I have freedom, then I actually am responsible for the things I do, and that means that if I choose to do things that are good and blessed to other people, then I, I am. I have a sense in which I can feel good about that because I, I was the one who actually brought that about. I think another thing is that uh, we were made according to the scriptures to live in community. And so it is a natural part of our nature to seek to do the one another's of scripture and to love each other and care for one another. That's naturally the way we were made. I think further God is a teleological being, meaning he acts for, for purposes and goals. He created the world for a purpose, and that means that there's a purpose for me to be here. I'm not just a random accident. I was here for some purpose, and I, I, I gain a deep sense of, you pointed out, of meaning but joy and significance from growing and improving in my ability to fulfill my purpose. I mean, I've met people who know that they're working in a job that is what they were made to do. And boy, they're just, there is such a congruence in their lives. But there are other people that know that know in their hearts they were made to do X, but they're stuck doing Y. And they're glad because they're at least providing food for their family. But there's a misery in there. And they want to be doing what they know they were made to do. The final thing is this. Um, and this addresses a problem Immanuel Kant raised about what he called the summum bonum. And the summum bonum was when the right merges together with the good. And if you got that, then, then that's, that's the most important thing you could have. Now, what he meant by that was that leading a moral life and seeking to become a, a morally righteous person that, that does more uh, uh, good things than bad, that presupposes an objective right. It turns out that we were actually made to do that because when we do that, we, we, have, we have more of the good than when we live immorally. And by the good, I, it one means a sense of deep-seated shalom or well-being, a very deep sense of eudaimonia or of uh, virtue and character and wisdom and, and happiness. Those go together. And, and the reason is that God made us for, for the purpose of flourishing best when we uh, do the moral good, the moral right, for others, I mean, you—I'm sure—in your own life, it, the, the saying that's better to give than receive actually turns out to be true, especially when you have grandchildren. And you know, you—you—we you, just bought a an iPod for my granddaughter, and all her friends had one, and and she and it—you know—it was expensive. We got her the nicest one we could get. Oh my gosh, she just about stood on her head. I mean, she must have kissed me twelve times the rest of the evening. And the joy in my heart of seeing that little gal just being thrilled 
was so much greater than me opening presents on Christmas and getting a new pair of jeans or whatever. Not that I don't like that, but you get the point. So yeah. I think that all of these factors in Christian theism indicate that we were made for this. And so when we do what we're made to do, we experience a sort of shalom or pleasure or happiness that it, it because we're being congruent with the way we were made and why we were put here. Other worldviews don't have that because there is no reason why we were put here uh, in the postmodern view or in naturalism. You, you know, it's just one darn thing after another uh, is history is. And so it's not going anywhere. Yeah. If people don't find their purpose in in God, then where do you think that they, what are their only other options? Where are people it's, going it, to start looking for their purpose? Well, there are going to be three, there will be one of three areas. Um, one is going to be education and power. Uh, a second is it's going to be pleasure, which is largely sensual pleasure. And a third is going to be fame and recognition. And so the problem with, and this is all discussed in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. It's just very interesting because he assumes God is dead. And he says there are two things people are going to go after and one's education. And he says that's ridiculous because if what's crooked can't be straightened because if there's no standard of what counts as what we're trying to be, then how can you fix it? Because there's no straightness to measure crookedness or brokenness by. And and pleasure is like Turkish delight. After a while, it turns sour because you it, it just doesn't give you the buzz it used to. Significance and fame, that some of the most, I've been working in the Hollywood industry a little bit more recently and some of the the most miserable people, I can tell you honestly, are people with the greatest amount of fame because they have to watch their press clippings all the time. But that's what people are turning to, and it's leading to addiction. Hmm. I also think that it has real uh, real ramifications for society whenever people don't find their purpose in God and then living out the meaning that comes with that and taking out the various responsibilities in their life, because they'll then start looking to these other things, which in turn lead to destructive addictions. Like you talked about, whether it's, um, uh, sensual addictions and sex or drugs and something else that leads down a destructive pathway. Um, they'll, or, or I think what people also do is they will then inevitably start to find, their ultimate purpose or God in the state yes, or, or yes. some great power. Uh, like you mentioned with, with education and power. And I, I think that that's a thing that we're seeing in great and increasing measure today, uh, both on the right and the left. Uh, it's easy to point out the left because they are more stereotypically um, secular. However, there is a very strong and growing secular right in our country today, which I think that both of them uh, run into these temptations of turning, turning the state, turning the government powers into a God, something bigger than themselves that they can take part in and then try to find purpose for their life. And do you want to just explain, uh, expound on that a little bit more and explain what are the typical end results of whenever a society starts looking 
for purpose outside of God and what happens to that society. Well, let me first say that you're so right about that uh, regarding the state, because Nietzsche said that when God is de- became dead, meaning that the, the concept of God no longer had any authority in society, not that the being God died, but when he said God is dead, what he meant was society turned secular. That's what mm-hmm. he meant. Then there will become an absolutization of the state because people were seem to have this inherent hunger for so, for some purpose or meaning in their lives. And thus they will want to live for something bigger than they are. And since they can't live for God, they'll live for the state. Well, the problem is, he said, that the state will then engage in, in hideous activities that are greater than anything the state would do in a Christian context, because in Christianity, at least there were checks and balances but not so with, uh, you know, secular wars. And little did he know about the killing fields and, you know, the Nazi Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So, so what will happen to a society is that, number one, might, uh, might will make right. Um, it, it will be power that counts, not authority. Authority is the right to be, compl- uh, to be followed, but power is the ability to make you do what I want, whether I have that right or not. And uh, you, the, uh, the, the centers of power in a culture, in our case, the uh, universities and the, the government, will be marshaled uh, in support of the, the right values that will keep the state as the all-encompassing entity mm-hmm. and any speech or action that is contrary to that will be censored and those people will be canceled because uh, the goal will be to preserve the state and uh, protect the American people from heresy, mm-hmm. which, which would be Christian theism and other, other conservative views. I think you will get people, the, the breakdown of the family. There will be uh, no b- barriers placed on sexuality. Now we do pedophilia, having sex with children is not considered okay, but it, it's just a matter of time when that's going to be a part of the accepted practice in, in our country. If things keep going like this, uh, the government will take more and more of our freedoms uh, and uh, there will be social chaos uh, and the fragmentation of, 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 of a social structure that, that preserves peace and dignity, and it will, it will fall apart. And there will be battles for who has the, the, the greatest power, and it's not going to be a pretty thing. In, in the book... Uh, the last half of the book, I want to make sure that our, our listeners and viewers hear this. Is I, I have, after building a case for God over four chapters, I tell my own story. And I include some miracles that I've seen. And I suggest that people begin to have more expectation about the miraculous happening than we typically have in, in Western culture. But then I asked to, to rethink the whole thing, and I place an emphasis on the gospel of the kingdom, but I do begin with justification by faith. And I say that the beginning of entering into the gospel of the kingdom has got to be the forgiveness provided by the cross of Jesus. 
But that's not an end point. That's, that's where you start. And then you begin a pilgrimage in a new country or kingdom that has a new way of living. You know, the, the, you, you know, we all become servants of one another. Mm-hmm. This takes practice because we've come from a place where it's all about me. So you got to work, practice it. But then there's this new source of presence and power. And how do you tap into that? So the rest of the book is kind of how do you become a vibrant Christian without being religious and being kind of a legalist? And uh, that will I want the book to bring about attractive Christians so that the unbelieving world looks at us and says, man, those people, they're really different. And I think that we have misunderstood the way you do that. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to weigh in on it. That's all. Yeah, and so something that I think you're trying to get out here, and so I'll, I'll ask another question that might bring it out even more, is this, is it is it possible to be a confessing Christian and yet still find your meaning in places other than God? Yeah, I'd like to break, I'd like to break that down into two questions. The way you put it, I would say it is possible to be a genuine Christian and find their meaning in places other than God. And I would call that a confused Christian that's just not got a clue as to what he's doing. And he, without knowing it or she, is going to ruin their own lives. Uh, If the question is, can a coherent Christian, can a Christian who has carefully thought about what it would mean to be a follower of Jesus be in that position? And the answer is no, because... uh, the, the, at the very root of of the gospel message, especially the gospel of the kingdom, is that Jesus Christ is not presenting himself as a hobby to be added to our other hobbies. He is Lord. He wants to be Lord over our whole lives. Now, thank God he's merciful, and he wants us to flourish too. He's not just a slave driver, but you cannot in my in my view be be consistent and coherent in the, in your approach to life if you take on jesus and then you end up living pro- ultimately for these other things there's nothing wrong with living f- for financial s- security if it's properly balanced under your christian life but but as a rival no I, i'm sorry it just doesn't work that way yeah, and I think that that's one of the problems facing our, our our society and especially the church in America is that we've had a lack of discipleship. So that a lot of Christians attending church are uh, are are following more of that first option you talked about, where they're genuine believers, they love the Lord, and they're trusting in Christ for their salvation. But due to a lack of discipleship, they are not following the lordship of Christ in every area of their life. Uh, thus leaving them searching for purpose in other areas because they didn't understand that that a part of their Christian discipleship is following Christ everywhere. Um, I think that that one of the missing pieces of this, which is something that I think is is really like the hidden key to uh, applying this and, and, and experiencing meaning in your life, is looking at, so we talked about purpose uh, and then meaning. And so looking in your life at the purpose that God has given you but then the connecting piece to really experiencing it and living out in your life is then uh, discovering. So, what is the uh, what are the responsibilities 
that God has placed in every area of my life that whenever I recognize them, take them up and live them out, I will experience the meaning that comes with them. And I think that's the piece in that has really been missing in our discipleship is teaching Christians about uh, the responsibility that God has on their life in every area of their life to follow his lordship and their purpose for them. Uh, you bet. And uh, as you said, uh, not only helping to equip people to, to even think this way, and to have eyes to see what those responsibilities might be for their own calling in life, but but communicating to people that that living under these responsibilities is not bad news. It's good news because it's it's not going to make you dour and oh brother, I've, there's another thing I have to do. No, not quite the opposite. These, these things were given to us because God knew they were life-giving. And you, when, you, when you obey the Lord Jesus with his help, there is a greater sense of flourishing and uh, a sense of, of well-being than when you don't. Dallas Willard used to say, people think it's hard to follow Jesus. Well, in some ways, that's right, especially when you're first learning. But if you want to know what hard looks like, try not following him. Now that's hard. And I think the people I know who don't follow him are having rough lives. Uh, and they've got to do all kinds of, of self-medication and addicting things to keep from feeling the results of their choices. Yeah, I think that's another, there's another, uh, hidden in that is, is another problem that we face as American Christians is that we have... Uh, assumed that a good life is the same thing as a comfortable or easy yeah, life. No, right, right, right. No, yeah. absolutely. And, and some not. of the best things in life are some of the more difficult. Like like anyone who has children would attest, or at least I would hope, uh, parenthood. Arguably oh, the most right. difficult job that you'll ever have in your life, but by far the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the, Very good point. Yeah, and the same thing comes with, with following God. Sometimes he puts hard callings on our life. He, he leads us through trials and, uh, and, and taking the steps of obedience that he's placed before us is not easy or comfortable, but whenever we take them and we experience the meaning he has for us, then how can we uh, cheapen our lives by following any other path? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And so I think one thing that I recognized in your book and that I, I really wanted to try to pull out through this conversation is that the change required, whether it's somebody who's a Christian and needing to become more coherent or somebody who is uh, being open-minded, exploring this as a skeptic, the change that's required to start living out that good life is one that goes far beyond just the intellect. That we need, we need the intellectual reasons uh, for God, uh, but then it has to translate into the heart and into our life. Can uh, I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but can you just explain quickly... Uh, how this change has to go beyond just uh, well, learning some new facts. Absolutely. Um, it is so important that we are be being healed and integrated in our emotional and in our desires area. So after, as we grow, our desires ought to become more in line with uh, what God wants for us, and we should be able to 
handle our emotions. They're wonderful servants, but they're terrible masters. And I wrote a book called Finding Quiet that describes my own wrestling with depression and anxiety and the things that I found that that changed me. And uh, getting into something like that is very helpful. And then there's a third aspect to, to this, in my view, Aaron, besides the mind and the heart, and that is uh, a, a, a book just came out yesterday, my recent book, called A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles. And it's on learning to grow and seeing signs and wonders through your life uh, and in your local church without it being goofy or uh, – <laughs> You don't have to be a Pentecostal or a charismatic, and, and God bless them if they are, but you can be a straight-line evangelical, but the, the kingdom is present today in a new form. It isn't what it will ultimately be, in my opinion, but it's here in a new way, and there should be, we ought to be seeing more specific answers to prayer, healings, uh, hearing the voice of God. Uh, under the scripture's authority, uh, uh, being aware of demons and angels, and, and so on. And I think that brings the presence of God. When you see God do something, there's a presence that is hard to capture, but we've shied away from it. So the third thing I would add is what you know, like what's in a simple guide to experience miracles, that we need to learn that there are credible, biblically-based approaches to to, to learning how to pray more effectively and pray for the sick more effectively and see more things happen. So then you get a holistic package of discipleship where Christ and his teachings uh, involve every facet of my life and not just my spiritual compartment. Yeah, excellent. So before we go, what is the primary takeaway that you want readers of the book or listeners of this episode to have related to the God question. Christianity is neither foolish nor boring, but too many people think of it in those terms. My book, The God Question, is an attempt to to correct that thinking. I invite uh, people to consider the fact that maybe the Christian religion is based upon better reasons than their view of the world, and I lay that out in in a gracious manner. And then I say that maybe the fact that we think Christianity is boring is because we have missed some of the invigorating aspects of discipleship, uh, like you've pointed out. And so the rest of the book is, let's, let's rethink this together and see what we can come up with. And it's a way to help people experience the joy and the peace of Christ in a real way and not just talk about it. So those are the two things that I'm seeking to overcome for both a believer or an unbeliever. Excellent. Well, before we go, uh, once again, the book that we talked about today is the God question by JP Moreland. Uh, you can get it, uh, wherever books are sold. I'll have it linked in the show notes along with any other books that we talked about linked in the show notes. So if you go down to the description of this on YouTube or in your podcast app, you'll be able to find that link to the show notes and get these, uh, these resources that we talked about, including the God question. JP, before we go, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to point our reader, uh, our listeners to uh, ways they can connect with you and follow your work? 
Uh, no, but I would like to encourage our our viewers and listeners to tell their friends about your show. And I'll tell you why I say this. In my opinion, the 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 main or perhaps even the only place today where a, a thoughtful uh, approach to the issues of our day from a Christian perspective can be accessed is Christian radio. And not all Christian radio does that, but there are Christian radio and Christian podcasts and uh, you and things on YouTube that are produced like guys by, by folks like you, Aaron, that I, that give me hope that the ch- church can get educated again by just being regular listeners and uh, absorbing what's being taught because you're not going to get this sort of thing at Sunday school. And so I just encourage uh, our listeners and viewers to really take seriously the opportunity of discipleship by being a part of a regular podcast or radio show that addresses real issues. And you're doing that. And I think that's something I want readers to be recruiting people to engage in. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And I wholeheartedly agree, not just with this show, but any other that seeks to apply the Christian worldview to all of life. Uh, I, I completely agree with what you said, and I'm hopeful for the future um, uh, for for uh, because of projects like this one and others out there. So thank you. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, once again, check out the show notes to get uh, JP's book. Check out any of his other books or the ones we mentioned in this episode. JP, I just want to thank you so much for your time today joining us on this show. I really enjoyed it. So thank you for being here. Great being with you. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.